Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of our lesson on the book of Acts for our Drama of Redemption series. I'm here again with Skye and Kristen, and we're excited to keep unpacking these lessons from the early days of the church. So in part one, we talked about how Jesus commissioned his apostles to go into the world to tell people about himself, to be witnesses of him. And But first, before they do that, he said, wait, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes to you to empower you for this task. So they're waiting and then they're going to be sent. And just an interesting note, our language, I think, we might make a mistake sometime, but our language is about to change. We've always talked about the disciples, the disciples, the disciples, and now we're going to be referring to them as the apostles. And there's a change in the biblical text as well. So the disciples are people who are following after Jesus and learning from him. But the word apostle means sent out one, like a post. And just like you send postal mail, you know, you send that through the mail, the disciples are sent out and commissioned by God. So now they're not just as disciples, they're apostles. Okay, so we have the apostles, and they are waiting in Jerusalem just as Jesus instructed them to do. And it seems like it's been about a week um, since Jesus went back up to heaven, and they're waiting in a room in Jerusalem along with other brothers and sisters who followed Jesus. Um, the first thing that I do want to say before we read this passage is that it says it took place at the Jewish festival of Pentecost. So Kristen, what can you tell us about Pentecost just to orient people to that holiday? Yeah, so Pentecost was the second of the three major annual festivals in the Jewish calendar. And it was one of the major festivals where everyone was supposed to go to Jerusalem and celebrate together. Um, it took place about 50 days after Passover, and Passover uh, was the first major festival of the year. And if you remember, we talked a lot about Passover's connection to the meaning of Jesus's death and the celebration of communion. And so it's actually very cool that Jesus chose the day of Pentecost to be the day when the Holy Spirit came to the church. And there are a lot of Old Testament tie-ins to this story. And unfortunately, there are many more that we could go into right now, but in the show notes, we'll put a link to a 15-minute video by a theologian, Chad Bird, where he unpacks a lot of those connections. And we just encourage you to go check that out. Yeah, so there's a lot of significance with Pentecost being this one of the major Jewish holidays and also reflecting the giving of the law. It was a, a harvest festival, but also a celebration of the giving of the law. So definitely check out that video um, to hear more. All right, so it's going to be Pentecost. So we knew, I said before, Jesus stayed with his disciples 40 days, and this is 50 days after Easter. So they've been without Jesus for like a week. They've been in Jerusalem, and they're waiting to see what happens. Here we go. All right, Sky, tell us what happens. Let's read Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, and Phygri and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them all telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them, saying, they are filled with new wine. Wow, what a dramatic passage. They did not wait in vain. Um, This is certainly an event after a quiet week of waiting. So let's take some time to unpack this. What do you guys notice here in this story? Well, definitely the sound and the wind. It was very clearly an all five senses kind of experience. And the sound of the wind was just so loud that it filled the whole house where they were. And so that dramatic sound that's just so you can't ignore it. It's very reminiscent of the loud noise and dramatic sounds of other times when God revealed himself to his people. Yeah, and other ways that we see kind of just what you said, Kristen, God revealing himself to his people. Um, um, also kind of with this idea of fire. Um, so it says like tongues of tongues like fire. It doesn't say as fire. It says like fire. That's kind of the best they could describe it as. But tongues like fire. Um, go and are on each person's each person's head, um, and this is just really symbolizing like God's presence, um, or maybe not even symbolizing, but like saying God's presence is here, um, and God is speaking. Um, and this is something that we see elsewhere in the Bible. We see God appearing in fire. We see God appearing in clouds. Um, you think of uh, God led the people when they were in the wilderness in. Um, the Exodus by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Um, And in Deuteronomy, we also hear about the Lord speaking to the people, speaking to the Israelites um, out of the midst of fire. Um, So this is something that we see um, elsewhere in the Bible and just really shows us that God is present. God is here. And one thing that's really cool to see is each person has their individual flame-like thing on their head here in Pentecost. Um, And this is cool because it's saying like that God is with each person individually. He is empowering each person with the Spirit to do a particular task. So I just love kind of seeing how God speaks through fire um, and how God comes to each person, giving them each the Spirit, appearing as like fire on each of them. Yeah, we can't forget the really obvious one that the Holy Spirit gave them the power to speak in other languages. Like, how miraculous is that? These languages could be understood by people from other countries. And so they were given this power partly as a miraculous sign, of course, but also just so they could communicate the works of God in Jesus Christ to everyone who'd have been in Jerusalem at this time for the festival. Um, So we just, just state it another way. The Holy Spirit gave the disciples power to witness. They were given the gift of tongues in order to be able to communicate with all those who had come from all over the Greco-Roman world. And so the curse of the Tower of Babel was turned back. Yeah, and what you're saying there, Kristen, um, just 
about all the people from all over um, really just points to this amazing diversity of people that we have in Jerusalem at this time. Um, when I read that Bible passage, there was a lot of names in there, um, and they're hard to pronounce, um, but those lots of names are people coming from as far east as the Parthian Empire um, and as far west as Rome. And you might not know where, you probably know where Rome is. You might not know where the Parthian Empire is, uh, but I looked it up on a map and they're like thousands of miles apart. Each one is over a thousand miles from Jerusalem. Um, so this is an area spanning well over 2000 miles. Um, and just seeing that people are coming from all of these different places. Um, and that's important because Jesus's command that we read earlier, that they were to go out and they were to witness, they were to um, speak the gospel to all people of all nations and that their testimony should go to the ends of the earth. Um, so that's why it's important to see here. This is kind of a jump start. You have a ton of people here. Um, and this is kind of a, the first place where they're able to witness and really use their witness to start to speak to the ends of the earth, to places far away, thousands of miles away. Yeah, and everyone was sort of drawn to this event, the noise and the speaking, and everyone was amazed and like, wait a second, aren't these Galileans? How could they speak all these languages? Um, and the last line that we read was kind of funny because some people are like, oh, I think they're just drunk, which is just a crazy idea because when has getting drunk ever made someone fluent in a second language um, that they didn't know before? But, you know, when people are confused, they try to just say, oh, I don't know, maybe they're drunk, you know, just as a half explanation to not have to deal with the reality of what's happening. So there's a lot of like people drawn into the scene, people hearing this testimony spoken, seeing these people just alive with the word of God. And so there's this huge crowd. And at this moment, Peter steps up and he begins to preach what is known as the first sermon of the Christian church. And this sermon is definitely worth reading, and I'm just going to summarize it here for you. But in this sermon, he affirms that this gift of tongues is a sign of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it was a sign, it is a sign that was promised by the prophet Joel centuries before. And Peter then goes on to say that Jesus of Nazareth, whose death everyone there would have remembered probably from the Passover celebration that was just two months previous, that same Jesus of Nazareth had been resurrected, Peter said. He had been resurrected from the dead, and in fact, he was the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, the anointed one, the Christ. So this is what he preaches and teaches. And at the end of the sermon, Peter strongly says, and I'll quote this part, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's quite an ending to this sermon. And can we imagine this crowd knew Jesus? They had seen Jesus probably at different points doing public work. So it's not just a random crowd of people. A lot of them probably knew or had heard directly about Jesus. And Peter is challenging them on who God, who Jesus was and what had happened in the crucifixion and resurrection. So let's hear how they respond. Kristen, can you read Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41, that will tell us how the crowd responded? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow, what an amazing response to this sermon. Sky, Kristen, what do you guys notice um, in the people's response? Yeah, I think one of the first things I notice uh, is that after they hear this sermon, it says that they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Like that really speaks of like conviction. Uh, they are convicted kind of of their sin. And then it goes on to say like, what should they do? They should repent. So they're convicted of their sin and they are moved to repent, um, to repent of in particular their unbelief in Jesus. Um, because that is how Jesus got crucified in the first place. People did not acknowledge, did not believe that he was the Son of God. And so they're cut to the heart. Um, they're cut to the heart by this first sermon that we have. Anna was mentioning this is the first sermon um, that Peter gives it. But I think it's also important to recognize that the Holy Spirit is at work here. Like the Holy Spirit has just come upon the people. Um, and the Holy Spirit is so present and I think that's why they are convicted. That's why they are cut to the heart. Um, because the Holy Spirit is present, the Holy Spirit is working inside them and moving them. Um, so it's just not, it's not only Peter's teaching. It's not only this human, really eloquent or really powerful speech, but God is at work here. Um, and this is what Jesus had taught. He had taught that the Holy Spirit would come. Um, this is from John 16, verse eight reads, and when the helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So I think we just see there that this Holy Spirit brings conviction. It cuts, the Holy Spirit cuts to the heart as they were moved from hearing this. Um, and this is something that we saw um, as they moved to repentance. This is one of the first things that John the Baptist says. If we remember from a few weeks ago, he says, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so that's what we see here. John said you should repent. And that's what we see here happening. One of the first things in Acts is the people are repenting. Yeah. And so they're repenting and then they're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they receive that forgiveness that Jesus had promised to those who repent and turn to him. And it says that 3000 people became followers of Jesus that day. And that's just an incredible response to the sermon. I mean, you hope that one person comes to Jesus through a sermon, but 3000. And that just reinforces what Sky was saying, that clearly, even though, you know, Peter was one giving the sermon, but clearly the Holy Spirit is at work. This isn't just through the words of a man. This is the Holy Spirit coming upon these people. And so previously in Acts 1, it had said that the company of believers was about 120 people. And so now we have about 3,000 people being added to that number. So just you can see the church growing. Yeah, and we're not reading further into Acts today, but if you keep reading in Acts, like those numbers grow um, until it's a multitude. And I just always love reading. I'm a numbers person, so I love reading those <laughs> numbers that we see in Acts. Yeah, and this event is often called the birth of the church. Again, not because there weren't believers before, but just this amazing initial influx of 3,000 more people who really s sort of say, we are following Christ 
we are saying that he is our Lord and Savior. We're accepting his name in baptism. So even though at the time they weren't initially, even the phrase church wasn't necessarily used this early on. But when we look back, we really see the church as God's people in Jesus Christ. We really see it growing in these early days. And initially, these people were known as followers of the way, which is not a title that we normally use. But then eventually they became known as Christians or little Christ because they were trying to imitate and follow Christ and he was their Lord. And all those believers were also empowered to become witnesses all around the world to tell people about Jesus. And we see that in the rest of the book of Acts, as Guy was saying, the church continues to grow. The book of Acts full title is the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Sent Ones, as they are sent out into the world being witnesses. All right. So this is an amazing turn that our story of the drama of redemption has taken. We've been following these covenants through scripture and God working through scripture, and we've been stressing the continuity of God's plan. I mean, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he has been working out a plan since the creation of the world. But this this kind of is a new phase and a new, new era of God's plan. And there may not be totally new elements, but there are newly emphasized elements here. So what strikes you guys as sort of a most significant change or development in this phase of God's story? Well, like I've mentioned before, I think um, just the multitude of nations that are present um, and how this, um, the apostles are now called and they are sent to go out into the world. Um, so just this emphasize on the nations. It's no longer just the Jews. It's no longer just Israel. Um, it's not contained to Jerusalem, um, but it's going beyond that. Um, and that's just so lovely for us to see um, the gospel branching out, the gospel taking root um, and just getting all over and getting within the entire world. And I would just I would just chime in there, Sky, because that was part of the Old Testament that, that Israel was a witness to the nations. But it wasn't this sense of going out and finding the nations. It was like the nations would come to Israel and be incorporated or see Israel and, and see the testimony of God. But this is really like, go, mm-hmm. go and make disciples of all nations, push outward, go to them where they are. Like they can receive the Lord where they are in a different way than when it was focused on like the geographical nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a more complete inclusion of all nations. Yeah. Yeah, we also see this emphasis on the receiving by faith the promises of God on your behalf. And that begins in this repentance and culminates in receiving forgiveness and deliverance through Christ. And we saw signs of this throughout the Old Testament, but now these truths really have been brought to light in a much clearer and fuller form through Jesus. And we can um, think of the verse in 2 Corinthians, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and just connecting it back also to thinking of individual tongues of fire being on the people's heads, Um, just seeing how everyone is commissioned. Um, Everyone has a part to play, and they are supposed to go out Um, Like you were saying, Anna, everyone is pushing beyond the Jews, pushing beyond Jerusalem. Um, And they're not doing that on their own accord. And this is probably the most significant 
um, difference or emphasis that we hear, but they're doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. They now have the Holy Spirit. They have God living within them. And they are now equipped in a much more powerful way to go out um, with God living inside them to be witnesses of Jesus, to be witnesses of the gospel. So just as we said in the Old Testament, salvation was always by faith in the promises of God, but there's a way that the full glory of God has been shown in Jesus Christ and our faith that we put in Him. In the same way, we had a hint of this, this idea that Sky is talking about of sort of the individual commissioning that comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we read in Jeremiah 31 about the new covenant, and it said, you know, no longer will you teach your neighbor saying to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. And so that's not saying that we don't talk to each other about God, but it's saying there is a way that each of us has access to God and can declare God in a way that wasn't fully open to the people of Israel when they always had to go through the earthly priests and through that temple system. So now there's a commission that each follower of Jesus has to be a part of that witness to the world. And so as we wrap up our reflection here on Acts 2, we want to encourage you to think for yourself, and we hope to discuss this in our Bible studies, if you're with us in Bible study, what does that look like for us to be witnesses for Christ in our world, in the people that we are in contact with? How do we point people to Christ? How do we explain and say that He is the Word of God come in flesh, that He is the one who's made the sacrifice for our sins, that He is our true King? Um, and there's a lot of ways that we have to connect that to our culture, connect that to people who aren't familiar at all with needing a priest or what's a prophet or wait, I have a king, you know? So there's a lot of connections that we need to make, but that's part of our calling as followers of Jesus. And so I hope that we can just talk about that more together and pray together and just spur one another on in those kinds of works. All right, so we're going to wrap up our time there. Thank you all for listening so much. It's great to have you with us, and we'll hope you come back next time. God bless.